Don't. Okay. Let me just mute everybody and we will start. Okay, so this is the Shia uh, on the book of Yechezkel, the Ilunish Mosama from Shmuvan Avramaria Cohen, and Chaya Tova Bas Eliezer Mendel Cohen. And we are finished with chapter 12. We're about to start chapter 13. So let's have a little introduction to chapter 13, because chapter 13 deals with something that um, we hear all the time, false prophets, and uh, of which there were many in, in uh, at the time of the destruction of the first base of Migdosh in Yerushalayim. In Jerusalem, there were a lot of false prophets. And um, I just want to have a, a quick discussion, not quick discussion, but a, 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 maybe a, a little bit of an in-depth discussion um, about what is or what was the motivation of false prophets, how they came about, what they are, because most people um, make a mistake uh, when they think about false prophets, and most people, if you if you ask them the question, um, what was the motivation for false prophecy and false prophets, they'd answer in one of the two uh, of the uh, following two ways. Um, first thing that you'd say would be covered honor, and uh, although we have no prophets today, we've lived in a in a Jewish world where we haven't had prophets for nearly 2,300 years, the title of prophet in the times of the first temple brought with it a lot of honor and a lot of prestige. Uh, and although the genuine prophets were often abused, uh, both physically and verbally by the populace, because the messages they were delivering were more often than not dark rebukes and warnings about the future and about uh, retribution from God, the false prophets, by comparison, were treated with great honor because they tended to contradict the dark prophecies of the genuine prophets <clears throat> and give you a positive prophecy, something that you wanted to hear. Uh, that would be one of your answers um, about the motivations of a false prophet. Or you might answer, and or money. False prophets charged a lot of money for their prophecies and obviously, the more you paid, uh, the better your prophecy became, um, as is outlined in the Gomorrah in Brochus, uh, towards the end of Brochus, that, uh, you know, the more you paid, the better the prophecy. Um, and because it's very difficult to disprove the claim, uh, God told me such and such in a vision, uh, prophecy was and is today a very attractive way of making a living. Um, especially for someone with the gift of the gab, someone who can talk, someone who could think quickly on their feet, um, and who could model the prophecy that he knew you wanted to hear in a co coherent way, uh, so that it became believable, especially if you are desperate to believe it. Prophecy was, and still is today, a very good way of making a buck. Um, and whilst these two motivations are probably true, um, and certainly that's the way we would think about it today. Um, there's a lot more going on with false prophecy than simply announcing to the world that you are now a prophet. You put up a notice, you know, in the local newspaper. And uh, if you want to hear a prophecy, you should make an appointment to see me. Um, and uh, there's a lot more to it than that. As we've just mentioned, we have no prophets today. And consequently, we we 
people, you and me, um, we wouldn't be able to distinguish between a genuine prophet and a false one. How would we know? Um, you go to somebody that speaks, the, talks the talk and walks the walk. How would you know? How would we, who've had no experience of real prophets and false prophets, know the difference between one and the other? Um, but that's today. Uh, but this was not true of the many generations that lived during the first temple periods. Everyone in Yehuda knew the process by which a person became a prophet and how to recognize a genuine one, just like everyone today knows the process by which someone can become a doctor. Um, you, you can't just put a sign up on the wall and say, you know, I'm Dr. Smith um, and get away with it. And in the first temple period, you can put a sign up on, on your office door and saying, I'm a prophet and get away with it. So here's the parallel. So I've used the parallel of a, of a doctor because I think it's very similar. Um, in today's world, to even attempt to be a doctor, one has to be of sufficient intelligence and moral fiber to even be considered as a candidate acceptable at medical school. Um, and the parallel to that in biblical times, in order to be a prophet, one needed to, to be uh, of sufficient intelligence and moral fiber. And you had to apply to a prophet school, uh, which is described in the book of Shmuel. They had schools like universities where people of great moral, uh, with great moral fiber and people of great intelligence would go and they'd study. Um, and where your level of intelligence and spiritual characteristics were assessed and had to be of sufficiently high level for you to be admitted. That was stage one. Back to the doctor. If a doctor is admitted, or a potential doctor, a, a trainee doctor or a medical student is accepted to medical school, they go through years and years of study and exams at university. Uh, and many of these original successful candidates who gain entry to the medical school will fail along the way. They'll be expelled during the initial process for a variety of practical and moral reasons, um, or just that they didn't match up, they just couldn't pass the exams. Similarly, when you're talking about uh, a, a prophet, a potential prophet would spend years studying a prophet school. It's not like a six-month course that you do on the internet. You'd spend years and years studying a prophet school, honing, instead of honing your medical uh, capabilities, You'd be honing your spiritual level, being constantly tested regarding their ability to un overcome their natural physical inclinations at all times and have the ability to focus on spiritual issues only. And again, just like in medical school, many failed this process and were told they were not cut out for prophecy and were shown the door. Um, back to a doctor. If you're successful at university... A trainee doctor, a student doctor, a potential doctor has to get experience working in a hospital environment to become proficient in the basic practical skills required for the profession. And the same applies to a prophet. Uh, a potential prophet, after completing prophecy school and passing all the exams, which generally speaking were exams in Torah, obviously, and they were tested and uh, judged on their moral performance and their spiritual level, they then have to go and accompany a qualified prophet for an extended period of time to learn how to successfully speak to people and pick up 
from the prophet the basic practical skills required to express a pro prophecy in the language that the people could relate to. So all this, all this is going on and, um, uh, in order to become a, a, a genuine prophet. Then back to the doctor. After successfully working in a hospital, a doctor has to take and pass his final exams to receive certification. And similarly, a potential prophet who is physically sound has to be physically sound after his practical experience with a genuine prophet. He also has to pass the final exams. And the final exams is not done through uh, other prophets. Uh, the final exam is God. Will God allow him or her to enter the paradise, which is the realm of spiritual knowledge, and be given access to great and sublime concepts? Only if he or she possesses a, the correct perspective to comprehend and grasp these divine concepts, will God admit him or her into a realm where prophecy is even possible? So, back to the doctor. After successfully passing their final exams and becoming a certified doctor, the newly qualified doctor now has to gain experience. They work their way up the hierarchical pyramid to a point where they are recognized by the public and their peers alike as a proficient general practitioner or surgeon or whatever their area of expertise is. And the same parallel applies to a prophet. A potential prophet, even after being allowed by God into the realm where personal prophecy is possible for them, that person, he or she, will still have to separate themselves from the masses and must continue and diligently train themselves not to have any thoughts about the vanities and transitory attractions of the times. Instead, their minds have to be constantly directed towards God, striving to comprehend the divine wisdom that they can now perceive. And only after success in all these preparations will the spirit of prophecy rest upon them. Just like the, the, the idea of a doctor being recognized. It takes a very, very long period of time. So everyone, if you take this into consideration, uh, and how difficult it was, uh, I don't know what the, the current ratio is of, medical students that apply uh, to medical school or get accepted to medical school actually become doctors. Uh, maybe some of the doctors here, maybe Larry would, would have an insight into that. Um, but th those that entered, entered into the profession of becoming prophets, um, the success rate was very low. So that everyone at the time of the first temple knew this process of how you became a prophet, just like everybody today knows the process by which someone becomes a doctor. The idea that a regular Joe at the time of the first base of English could just rent an office, put a sign on his wall saying, I'm a prophet, consult me about the future, and be taken seriously by the public is absolutely absurd. Um, and therefore, one has to understand that the false prophets that we're going to be discussing at the time of the first base of English, at the time of the first temple, generally fitted into two categories uh, and this is this is something that people don't recognize you, you you're not really talking about people that you know just decide they're going to be a prophet and uh can get away with it they they they'd just be laughed out of the office they'd just be laughed out of the profession so 
the false prophets we're going to be discussing this chat chapter will generally generally not in every example but generally fit into two categories category number one uh, is a potential prophet that reached the stage of entering the paradise in other words he he, he got to the point where he entered the realm of spiritual knowledge where prophecy is possible um but then came up short and never actually received prof- pro- prophecy himself nor normally because of his or her inability to separate themselves in such a way from the physical world uh so as not to have any thoughts about the vanities and transitory att- attractions of the world and an inability to concentrate entirely on godly matters and spiritual issues that's one type of false prophet now that type of false prophet people would know that they they've gone through the whole process the only thing that they wouldn't know is that at the end of the day they've done everything but god chose not to not to um give them prophecy they they wouldn't know that but they'd know that this guy spent 12 years studying and um he'd been accompanying other prophets around real prophets around and he'd obviously got to the the ultimate stage or the penultimate stage but they wouldn't know that uh, at the end of the day god decided against it god or her god decided that uh, they weren't fit um to receive full prophecy that's one category we'll be dealing with another category is someone who actually reached the level of full prophecy they actually had prophecy themselves and then for whatever reason um claim that god spoke to him or her in prophecy and he's lying about it now um you might think that's absurd but so we do have uh genuine cases that scattered throughout shas um not in the realm of prophecy but in the realm of great tamidi chachomim the great tamidi chachomim there was a kohen godol who has uh, lived 80 years and uh, when he was 80 he he, he became um he became an apostate. You have Elisha Ben Avuya, one of the great uh, Tanoim, uh, who's known as Acher, the other one, who also became an apostate after spending his whole life dedicated to learning Torah. So this isn't something that is, uh, it's not normal, but it's not something that's out of the question. So here you, what we'll, what we'll be dealing with in this chapter, generally speaking, these two, 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 two types of false prophets, both of them, have reached almost one of them's reached almost the ultimate uh situation um they they've got the ability to receive prophecy just that god chose not to give it give it to them and people that actually re- receive prophecy themselves but for whatever reason and we'll see some of the reasons later um decided to uh as well as the prophecy that god told them um will claim that God had spoken to them about particular issues uh, and he's actually lying about it. God never told them anything of the sort. So only people that really fitted into one of these two categories uh, could possibly fool the Jews of the first base of this period into believing that their message or their prophecy was given to them by God. Um, and the problem with either of these two categories uh, of false pro- prophets is this. How can someone that has demonstrated such advanced spirituality over an extended period of time to the point that they were on the verge of full prophecy or even attained full prophecy, how could such a person ever bring themselves to lie about receiving prophecy directly from God? 
Um, and this is a question that uh, has been raised many times, and um, there are a, a few answers, and the answers that I've read uh, don't really satisfy me. Uh, and as, a, as someone who I just have to have a, some some type of answer that I can deal with um, that can that speaks to me. Um, I've, I've, I thought I've been thinking about this for for a long, long time. Um, I've come up with a solution, but um, I'm not even, even entirely convinced by my own solution. But uh, what we need to know is what could possibly motivate such a person to lie about having received prophecy from God when, in fact, they received no such prophecy. Uh, and the question is further enhanced by the fact that we're dealing here with an individual who's attained such spiritual heights. You know, he's actually seen the paradise. He's actually seen the the spiritual realm, which may be less than, you know, uh, less than, I don't know, in terms of the Tanakh, there are 48 prophets and seven prophetesses described. There are many others as well. But you're talking about a, a, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the population has actually seen the paradise, has actually seen the area, been in the area, experienced the spiritual realm where prophecy is is a possibility. Um, so uh, how could it be? How could it be? What would be the motivation? Uh, and why would God allow it? Um, someone who to allow someone who is uh, well aware of what they're doing, uh, and really well aware because of their study of the consequences of delivering a false prophecy. And um, we know from the Torah itself, uh, the Torah actually says in Devorim in chapter eighteen, um, and this is verse twenty, Ach Hanavi Yosid Dava Bishmit. The prophet who, and he calls, the, the Torah actually calls these false prophets, prophets. But the prophet who purposely speaks in my name, something that I did not command him to say, or someone who speaks in the name of other pagan gods, that prophet should be put to death. Now Rashi over there uh, comments on this verse, on this verse in, in Devorim, um, that uh, three prophets, three sinful prophets are executed by a bastin. And the method of execution is chenek, which is strangulation. It's one of the four uh, Mises Basin, one of the Arab Mises Basin. There's Skila, uh, Sreifa, Herig, Bechenek, stoning, burning, uh, um, uh, having your head head chopped off, which is hereg, and chenek, which is strangulation. And Rashi says, someone who prophesies what he has not heard from God is executed by a bastard. One who prophesied was not something that was not told to him, but was told to another prophet, uh, and he speaks it out, um, what happens in prophecy, which is something that we'll deal with in, in a minute, is that, uh, say there are five prophets operating at the same time. Um, let's say, you know, in first temple period, the five prophets are live on the planet. So when God delivers a prophecy, all five prophets hear the prophecy. 
Um, but it's made pretty clear in the prophecy who, who, who the prophecy is aimed at. In, in other words, who should be distributing this message of prophecy to the people. So yet yeah, you, you, every, all five prophets hear the prophecy, but only one is instructed to give it. So Rashi says, someone who prophesies something, in other words, he delivers a, a message of prophecy that was not meant for him to be, not meant for him to d- distribute. He's also Chayim Misa. He's also executed. And he says the third person, someone who prophesies in the name of a pagan god, which doesn't affect uh, uh, our situation here as in chapter 13. Um, and even though, even, even a prophet who prophesies falsely, but his words coincide with halacha. In other words, he says, listen, God told me A, B, and C, when God didn't tell him A, B, and C. And A, B, and C are halachic. They're correct. Um, uh, forbidding what is forbidden or permitting something that is permissible. That that novi, that prophet is chayv uh, misa. It's also, it's a capital offense. Um, also, someone who suppresses his prophecy and does not announce it to the people. Who's Anyone give me an example of that? Someone who was given prophecy but suppressed it? Come on. Larry. Harvey. Who is a prophet that was given prophecy, chose not to do it? Says, I'll give you a clue. Coming up to Yom Kippur. Sorry? Sorry, one at a time. Yona. 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 He told God, yeah, yeah, nice prophecy. I'm going on a cruise, right? Um, we read that on um, we read that on Yom Kippur, just coming up next uh, next Monday when we should be having shit, but we won't be. So somebody who suppresses his prophecy and he doesn't announce it to the people when God tells him to, he's Chayv Misa as well, which is why Yonah was thrown into the big fish. The intention was that he would die. According to the Gorn, he did die, and then he was resurrected. And um, and someone. Uh, also, someone who transgresses the words of a prophet or a prophet who transgresses his own words of prophecy, uh, they're also Chayv Misa. They're also, so a, a prophet who chooses to give false prophecy knows the score. I mean, they've, they've been to you, the prophet school. They know that they know the, uh, the, um, repercussions of giving false prophecy. And it, 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 you know, it's not two, it's not two years in an open prison. It's death. Um, and the Torah actually says, "Ani edrosh mimanu." The Torah says, "God says I'll extract it from him. I'll exact it from him." And uh, the Gemara and Sanhedrin discusses in great detail on that uh, on that uh, pay test on page eighty nine. So, with these consequences on the horizon, the question becomes even more fierce, becomes even more uh, difficult to answer. What could possibly motivate someone who has reached a level of having entered God's realm uh, and spent so long um, cutting themselves off from the physical world uh, and to the point where they've got to the point where they've entered the paradise and they've seen the spiritual realm? Uh, how could how what would motivate any any of these people to give a false prophecy? Um and, and you should bear in mind, it's not the same, it's not the same question as how could an experienced qualified doctor sworn to do no harm become a serial killer? 
That, 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 there's no parallel there. This is this is this is far more serious. I mean that they these guys these guys at Profit School, they know they know the consequences of what they're doing. So what are the possibilities? What are what could possibly motivate these these individuals that we're going to be discussing in this chapter? So various suggestions have been made. Uh, to me, not. Uh, you, 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 I'm not going to try and uh, influence your decisions or in, influence the way you think. Um, but one thing uh, people suggest, Rabonim suggests, Rishonim suggests it, genuine mistake. Maybe you could argue that even someone with, with prophetic abilities could make a genuine, genuine mistake and believe that they received prophecy when they hadn't. And, uh, you know, they go to bed at night or the, during the day and maybe they smoke something they shouldn't have been smoking. And, um, you know, they they have a vision and uh, they're prophets. And, uh, you know, they automatically assume that that is a prophetic vision and uh, they announce it. So it's a genuine mistake. So although this is a, a nice suggestion... Uh, I'd submit to you, it's absolutely impossible. Um, and the Ramchal, Ramosh Chaim Lusato, writes in, uh, that a prophet during prophecy is fully aware that he, he is receiving prophecy and fully cognizant of, of the signs uh, that he's experiencing uh, and that he's got a direct connection to God. And this is what he writes. This is in, in the, um, the Ma'amar Ha'ikorim, the uh, his little book of uh, fundamentals. This is the, the seventh chapter of the Ramchal's Mamari Korim, the book of uh, fundamentals. He writes as follows. There's a general rule regarding prophecy. When a prophet receives prophecy, it is absolutely clear to the prophet that it is God that is revealed to him and that he fully comprehends what is being revealed to him. And thus there remains no doubt at all concerning the prophecy he is experiencing. Furthermore, when this revelation happens to the prophets, it will be preceded by great trembling in him, and all the limbs of his body will quiver, and all his five physical senses will be numbed. Um, he won't be able to see, he won't be able to hear, he won't be able to touch, he won't be able to taste, he won't be able to smell. He will be as if he's asleep. And then from out of this stupor, appropriate visions will, will appear in his imagination, through which he will attain a certain revelation of divine glory and get, gain knowledge of the divine will. So based on that, the bottom line is, says Aramchal, a prophet cannot ever be under the impression that he has received prophecy when he hasn't. So we can dismiss this idea that a pr false prophet you could have a false prophet make an excuse for him that he made a genuine mistake. Then the Ramchal, that's not possible. Uh, a genuine prophet doesn't make genuine mistakes. The second um, answer that's given is altruism, um, which to me is a myth, the myth of altruism. Um, maybe a prophet believes that a certain course of action is necessary, is vital uh, for the Jewish people's future but fears that the people will not listen to his advice on the issue. So in order to ensure that this course of action is pursued, he altruistically 
lies saying he received prophecy from God in order to convince the people to travel down a particular road he feels is vital for their spiritual advancement. So it's an altruistic. He's he he he's doing something without any uh, belief that he's he's gaining anything from it. He, it's altruistic. He's doing it for just for the right reasons, and uh, and and he believes that he, if he doesn't tell the people that it's actually a prophecy, then they might not pay as close attention to what he's saying as if he says something that is. Um, you know, in off his own head, off his because he once he says it's prophecy, so he believes people will believe it, and he's convinced that uh, the message he wants to deliver is vital for the spiritual advancement of the Jewish people. So that's the second answer that's given that maybe that would be the motivation of a prophet, uh, giving false prophecy. But to me, this too is very hard to contemplate because someone that has received such a level of spirituality and actually had access to God, so to speak, to God's realm, it's very hard to imagine that he would contemplate preempting God and making a decision on God's behalf, which clearly falls under the category of a mitzvah habob aveira. Yes, you're doing a mitzvah. You're trying to get the people onto the right track. But you, you're 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 accomplishing accomplish accomplishing that by doing an avera, a mitzvah. It's like stealing money and giving it to charity. You you're stealing God's words, so to speak, and uh, to help people. So uh, people that have been studying that are handpicked, people that are handpicked for this particular uh, job of being God's prophet would never, in my opinion, would never fall into that trap of a mitzvah bar of doing a mitzvah, um, uh, accomplishing what they consider to be a mitzvah uh, by doing an avera. And not only an avera, and by doing a sin that uh, carries a capital capital punishment with it. Uh, The fourth, uh, the third uh, answer that's given is... The old chestnut that we discussed earlier on, honor, money, flattery, that uh, people, people are people, right? Human beings are human beings. And even a genuine prophet who's gone through all the process and he's reached that level. So um, the attractions of this world, the honor, the money, the flattery um, uh, could influence a, a genuine prophet into giving a false prophecy. But again, it's very hard to see how someone handpicked by other genuine prophets trained by them and having passed all the vetting pr- pr- uh, procedures uh, set up for the apprentice prophets during their training who, and who actually saw, actually saw, or maybe even had prophecy, could possibly turn their backs on all their spiritual commitments and suddenly lie to the public for the sake of honor or for the sake of money or because they were being flattered. So these three answers, which are the, generally the answers that are given, why a false prophet becomes a fire, someone who's uh, got to this level would indulge in false prophecy, um, is very, very difficult to uh, take on board. Uh, and I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe that that could ever happen. Which leaves us with um, a fourth way of looking at it. And um, 
I've never heard anybody else give this uh, rationale. Uh, maybe because I've never seen it somewhere. Maybe somebody has written this, but I've never, I've never seen it. Um, so I'll just tell you. Uh, if you sit somewhere else, so Boruch Shekivanti. Um, and um, I call it the Bilam Korach factor. Um, so having, again, having thought about this question for a long time and not receiving an answer that satisfies me from anyone, the only thing that makes some sense to me, and to be honest, it's not completely satisfying for me either. And uh, whether it will be satisfying for you, um, you, you'll just have to make your own minds up. Again, I call it the Bilom and Korah factor. Now, it works like this. Moshe Rabbeinu's unique qualities are summed up by the famous posit from the end of the Torah. The Torah says, There was no other prophet who arose in Israel, Israel like that. Again, we're getting some feedback here, so let me just mute everybody. Um, yes, the Lokom Novi owed be Israel to Moshe. There was no other prophet who arose in Israel like Moshe. And the, the Sifrei, the Medrash in Devorim adds, Yes, why does the Possek have to say Lokom Novi owed be Israel? Why doesn't it say that the, there was no other prophet who rose in Israel like Moshe? Why doesn't it, why does it say in, in Israel? Why doesn't it say there never rose a prophet like Moshe? Why mention Israel? So the, the Medrash says in Israel, none arose like Moshe. But among the nations of the world, one arose like him that had the level of prophecy like him. And that was Bilal. And the question is, um, how could it be that someone as evil as Bilal, who wants to commit genocide against the Jewish people, could be afforded prophecy, and not just ordinary prophecy, but prophecy equivalent in power to Moshe Rabbeinu. Similarly, how could a fully qualified Jewish prophet like Korah bring himself to challenge Moshe for the leadership of the Jewish people, and not only that, but attract such a huge following? Um, and um, so we have these two, like, what, why is God giving prophecy to Bilon? Why is God giving prophecy to Korah? And I think the answer to these questions revolves around the old chestnut that we play around with all the time, which is the question of free will. Now, God, as we know, is committed to a human being's free will, and he's committed to a, a human being's free will choices. And God almost never, and that's the general rule, not this is not 100%, but God almost never interferes with a human being's free will. Um, and as a result of the creative process, there must always be alternatives placed in front of map, choices that are equal in their pulling power on a person's free will. Watch the game or go to the shear. Get up to Davin or stay in bed. Vote for my friend or vote for the most appropriate candidate. God, on a daily basis, continues to provide us with intriguing alternatives in our lives, and when it comes to leadership as well, the choices are fascinating. The warmonger or the appeaser, the competent villain or the incompetent saint, Moshe or Korah, God in his infinite wisdom provides endless balanced alternatives 
to every human being as individuals and as groups to test our sensitivity to him. And consequently, if there was going to be a prophet like Moshe in the world, personifying humility, virtue, selflessness, and submission to God, there had to be prophets like Bilal outside of Judaism and prophets like Korach too, seeming operate, seemingly operating within the bounds of Judaism to balance the scales. Both Bilom and Korach personified the antithesis of Moshe. Instead of humility, it was all about pride. Instead of virtue, it was all about evil. Instead of selflessness, it was all about selfishness. And instead of submission to God, they were both in defiance of God. Um, now, to be sure, both Bilam and Korach were hugely talented in a spiritual and prophetic sense. And it was their own free will choice to employ those powers that they were given by God for evil and selfish means. Either of them could have chosen the Moshe path. But despite their elevated spiritual level to the point of intimacy with God, they chose the dark side, right? From the language of um, the Empire Strikes Back. They chose the dark side of the, uh, what's it called? Um, the dark side of the, um, I can't remember, the force, the dark side of the, the evil side. If it wouldn't have been them, others would have been offered the chance to be the Bilam and Korach of history until someone willingly accepted the role. The Jews living in the basin first temple period, by dint of God's commitment to free will, were entitled excuse me, were entitled to hear an alternative voice other than the words of God's own prophets. From the perspective of free will, from the God's commitment to free will, that entitled all the people that lived in first temple periods, they were entitled to hear an alternative voice other than the words of God's own prophets. Consequently, God was committed to allowing false prophets, maybe even on the level of Yechezkel, maybe even on the level of Yeremia, and maybe even just as qualified to make their voices heard in Yerushalayim, together with the obvious charlatans that appear in every generation, as we'll see in the chapter as well. There are charlatans here as well. Don't make any mistake. But God, so to speak, in his commitment to free will, had to allow had to allow voices to appear that could challenge Yechezkel and Yermia so that the, the people could make a genuine free will choice. All the prophets that reached the pinnacle of their studies had been ordained as true prophets. They had the option to pursue the Moshe path or the Bilam and the Korach path. The only thing God committed himself to was that some would choose the Bilam Korach path. Who they would be, would depend on the free will choice of the individual prophet involved. Most chose the Moshe path. Most chose to be what they were supposed to be, true prophets. Some made the free will decision to follow the Bilam Korach path, and thus God arranged for a team of naysayers, giving the ability or the giving the people of Yushalayim what they were entitled to, a straightforward choice between Moshe and Bilam and Korah. Both groups of prophets were equally balanced in terms of qualification and plausibility and credibility. 
the Jews of Yehuda could now either recognize the truth of what Yechezkel and Yirmiyahu were saying, or you could go to Shul and Davin and do Teshuva or pay the price. Or they could deceive and delude themselves a little bit longer and listen to the false prophets who were equally powerful and had equal um, qualifications, who were telling you to forget the Shia. Don't worry about any consequences. There won't be any. God's got no intention of destroying Yerushalayim. God's got no intention of destroying the temple. The optimistic voice of the false prophets was very appealing, obviously, as it was designed to be. And jumping on the back of these false prophets, of course, were the charlatans, who were cashing in on the optimistic message of the truly false prophets. So that's what I think we're dealing with here. That's the really the introduction to this chapter. That's what I think we're dealing with here. On the whole, what you've got here is God allowing um, false prophets to operate in Yerushalayim from the perspective that there has to be this balance, from the perspective of free will. People have to have the choice. People have to be able to choose between the good and the bad. People have to be able to be, to, to be in equilibrium. If, all, if the only voices speaking in Yerushalayim were... The, the voices of the great prophets, Yechezkel, Yirmiyahu, Tzophania, Yeshayahu, Omos, Hosea, then um, the, 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 the choices that the people made in Yerushalayim or the choices that people made in Yehuda wouldn't be totally free choices. They had to be offered an alternative. They were entitled to be offered an alternative. The unfortunate thing is that on many occasions, or on as we'll see towards the end of the first temple period, on most occasions, they chose to follow the words of the false prophets, which were the optimistic voice, rather than the pessimistic voice of the true prophets of Israel. Now, that's the only way I can rationalize what's coming up, because as you'll see in the chapter we're going to read now, uh, they're actually, these false prophets are actually called prophets. And... Uh, they're described as, as speaking falsely and telling lies and everything else, but they're called prophets. So it's quite clear that we're dealing with people that were qualified and not just the charlatans. The charlatans that uh, we'll deal with in this chapter um, made a living off the backs of these false prophets, of the real false prophets. So that's where we're up to. That's where we're going to start the chapter. Uh, is everyone with me? Is everyone with me? Is everybody? I, I, I don't know whether... My explanation appeals to you, whether it does or, or it doesn't. Um, it doesn't totally appeal to me, but it's the only thing that I can come up with that makes some type of sense why God would allow uh, the preponderance of false prophets in the land of Israel um, during this period and allow their message to get out to the general population. Um, maybe you'll have a think about that. But we're ready to start on that basis that with that introduction. We're ready to start the first, the um, uh, chapter 13, the first verse. Uh, well, the first two verses. So let's let's have a look at the first two verses. So this, again, as you've guessed, the, this chapter deals in the main with false prophecy. So here we have God speaking to Yechezkel. Chapter 13, verse 1. The word of God came to me saying, Ben Odom, son of man. 
prophesy to the prophets of Israel. Um, prophesy uh, to the prophets of Israel who prophesy falsely and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts. So we'll see, there's, God's describing two groups here. And say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, You'll be better off listening to the words of God. So, again, it appears from this first first uh, verse, verse 2, that Yechezkel is being commanded here to take on, uh, in conversation and in debate, two types of false prophets. First, he says, God says to him, Prophesied to the prophets of Israel who prophesy falsely, meaning challenge those prophets who are qualified, but chose to, to lie, deny, or contradict the word of the true the words of the true prophets by making up their own prophetic message. Yeah, these are the Bilam and the Korath prophets that we just talked about. Really high high, highly qualified prophets who have just taken the wrong path. Challenge them. But also, but also speak to those who prophesy from their own hearts. In other words, as well as the genuine false prophets who are very credible to the Jewish people, they're qualified and people know about them and they, they've got the gift of the gab and they can convince people and, uh, They've got great charisma. Uh, apart from speaking to them, you should denounce the charlatans. The charlatans who on the backs of the qualified, talented false prophets make up prophecy from their own hearts. In other words, they just make it up. You know, if, but, um, but a marital and a VA milibo, people who just make it up. They just think of, think of something they could sell, a message they can sell, and they market it and they package it. So he's being told to take on both groups. And he, God tells him, Verse 3, So says the Lord God, Woe to the lying, stupid prophets who follow their own agenda and those who haven't seen in prophecy what they tell you. And here, again, God addresses both types of false prophets that need to be challenged. As um, this is the, this is, uh, uh, the Chidot. Chidot, Rav Chaim David Azulai says uh, here, we're talking about two, the same two groups again. Remember, the talented, the people, the qualified, who are very believable, uh, just as believable as Yechezkel, just as believable as Yirmiyah. Jeremiah, um, these are called these are called Hanavim Hanavolim, um, and uh, the Chidah describes these people. Efshad the Omer This is what Chazal say. The Ein Hanavu Ashara El Al Al We know, and as we described in the introduction, the prophecy only comes to those with great intellect and with great learning and with great wisdom. The novel. The novel, the word novel here, and the volume, novel, who have a chokham, 
the word no, novel or the word novolim that God used in this verse describes people without great intellect. Come out, uh, um, yeah, as the as we learnt in Devorim, am novol velochocham, a foolish and disgraceful people without wisdom. Um, so he says that uh, you've got two groups here. One group who are very, very ultimately qualified, and another group who are nevolic. They um, they don't even have the capacity for prophecy. That's the charlatans. But the other group, right at the end of the posuk, God describes the second group, which is the 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 the, the group we're we're talking about. We talked about in the inter, in the intro. Ula vilti ro'u. Ula vilti ro'u says the chidal. This refers to the second group. Real, real false prophets. Those with the capacity of prophecy. Who chose to claim that they were privy to a prophecy that they never actually saw. Ula vilti ro'u. They're, they're good prophets. They're proper prophets. They've got the gift of prophecy. Or well, they had the gift of prophecy. Ula vilti ro'u. But they're talking about something that the, that the, was never delivered them to them in prophecy. So again, in this verse, again, just quickly read this verse, verse three. You've got the charlatans. They're nevolit. They they're stupid, but they've got the gift of the gap. They just follow the they follow their nose. They uh, they they smell the atmosphere. They know they they can. They gauge the temperature of Yerushalayim. They know what people want to hear. And they go after the atmosphere. What's needed? What do they need to say that will influence people in Yerushalayim? That's the group of the charlatans. And the second group is real prophets who, who actually deliver prophecy or who have delivered prophecy in the past. But on this occasion, they're delivering a prophecy that they never saw. Levilti roll. They never saw it. And he describes them like this in verse 4. Kashu olim bacharovos neviecho Yisrael hoyu. Like foxes in the ruins, so were your prophets Israel. So what does it mean? Kashu olim bacharovos neviecho Yisrael hoyu. Like the the false prophets are described as like foxes in the ruins. Um, who are the foxes being described here? So the majority of the, um, and he's describing the false prophets. The Radak here and the Barbanel for once agree. And uh, the bottom line is like this. Foxes are very clever. They enter places they believe they might find a victim, but are clever enough to cover all their bases. And they've always got a place to escape should a larger predator appear on the horizon. And so, you know, you have a fox that goes into an area, but before he goes into an area and puts himself in some type of danger to attack a potential target, potential victim, he's always got his escape route planned out. And the foxes in this analogy, in verse 4 here, Kashu Olim, Becharobos, Neviyechu Yisrael Hoyu, like the foxes in the ruins, so were your prophets Israel. The foxes here are the false prophets of Israel who enter the Chorobos, they enter the ruins. The ruins means the areas of Yushalayim 
where people are the most gullible. People are in, in a bad way. People are suffering. People are people need uh, an optimistic voice. They need a, a, a voice of that there's going to be uh, light at the end of the tunnel. They need to be told that the Babylonians will never conquer Yerushalayim. They need to be told that the economic situation was definitely going to improve. Their potential victims are what's described by the Gomorrah as Katane Amona, Jews whose trust in God and the real prophets is waning. The, the, the method they use, these false prophets, is to flatter the people with their words and entice them to trust their intentions so that these people would listen to their falsehoods and pass on their message to others who will also listen to them and be corrupted by their words. So they they they're like foxes. They they choose their they choose their area of attack very cleverly. They go to the people who uh, are in the in in, in desperate des, in desperate in dire straits. They go to people that desperately need a bright message. They need an, a message of hope, and that's where they start. That's their victims. And uh, by influencing them, so the idea is that their message will get passed on to other members of society. And uh, the the El and the Radak both quote here from Shlomo Melech. He says, that's what Shlomo Melech means here. Shlomo Melech, this is in Shira Shirim, the Song of Songs. In the second chapter, he writes, Sha'olim katanim mechablim karomim. Even small foxes can destroy a whole vineyard. Meaning, even one false prophet who's like a fox, even a small one, someone, you know, by himself, uh, he's not even a, maybe he's not even a great prophet, but uh, he's got the ability and he's recognized by people that, uh, he, you know, he was a prophet. Uh, even, he says, Sha'olim Kitani, even foxes that are small and whose message maybe is feeble, lacking substance, Compared to the real prophets, Mechablim Karamim can corrupt and destroy the whole vineyard. The vineyard here is the Jewish people. The Jewish people are compared to a vineyard. So the, the, what Shlomo Malach is saying in, in this posse in Shira Shirim is Sha'alim Katani Mechablim Karamim. Even small foxes, even, even false prophets. Uh, with a feeble message, a, a message that uh, really, if you delve into the message they're delivering, it's it, it's obviously wrong. But for people that really need to hear their message, um, people will believe it, and they'll become corrupted. And that's how the corruption started in Yerushalayim, by these Sha'olim, by these foxes, who were very clever. They chose their audiences very clever, and their messages got passed round uh, right around Yerushalayim, and people started to believe them. And as Shlomo Melech says, Sha'olim Kitanim, even feeble, small foxes, even prophets, uh, false prophets, whose message is, you know, under, is corrupt, um, can end up destroying the whole of the Jewish people. And so God adds here at the end of this verse, you go back to the, to verse four here, and it says, Yisrael like these foxes in the ruins, uh, so were your prophets Israel. So God, God says here at the end of this um, um, 
God's, God adds at the end of this verse, Yisrael These were your prophets, meaning these devious foxes, these false prophets, who, who were the people you Jews wanted to listen to. You wanted to listen to them. You wanted to listen to their message. You wanted their message to be true. They were prophets. If you look at the, the language, Yisrael Hayu. They were, you can translate those words as they were prophets appointed by you. You accepted them as prophets. You took on their message. You were the ones that said, yes, these are the prophets we should be listening to. And God says, Yisrael Hayu. Those were the prophets you chose for yourself. They were not chosen by me. And um, so that's the idea of these foxes. That uh, again, the false prophets are compared to the foxes. Very clever. Very. They know who to target. They know the audience they want to speak to. They know how their message will get around. And you know, when it comes to, we know ourselves when it, with social media that uh, somebody posts something, you know, a piece of lush and horror. Uh, before you know it. Everybody, everybody in Israel, everybody across the planet has uh, been copied in, right? Everybody knows you can't put the you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And once this message of prophecy, once these false prophets, their message is out and there are people that are starting to believe it. So everyone gets in on the act. Everyone says, well, maybe it's true. And maybe the words of the real prophets, which is dark and we which we really don't want to listen to. And the, the message of these false prophets is good. It's optimistic. Maybe we'll accept that. And the Abarbanel adds here at the end of this possible, uh, which is where we'll stop now. We'll stop at verse five. The Abarbanel adds, he says, these false foxes that uh, God describes, these false prophets as foxes, clever, clever, clever foxes, false prophets. These false prophets were very fox-like, sly in their behavior. They were happy to deliver their false message to the gullible, but if they saw a real prophet coming to challenge them, they'd run for the hills, just like foxes do when when challenged by a larger predator, which is exactly how we described it at the start, that the foxes are real foxes are very clever. They don't go into an area and put themselves at risk unless they know they've got an escape route. And that's what these false prophet did, prophets did. They delivered their message to the gullible. Uh, as soon as they saw a false prophet, a real, sorry, as soon as they saw a real prophet who could challenge them and debate them and out debate them, they ran for the hills. They weren't prepared to negotiate. They weren't prepared to debate. They weren't prepared to enter into a conversation with the real prophets. So what you have here is you had these two groups, mainly these false prophets that were very, very well qualified. The people knew. The people knew that these people were, that these prophets, uh, you know, were qualified, either fully qualified or partially qualified. Maybe they'd even delivered prophecy before that was true and they were believable and they were delivering a, an optimistic message. And um, but they behaved like foxes. They behaved sly and um, and uh, they relied on the fact that. Uh, they spoke to the gullible and the gullible passed. You know, it's like the old story. It's like Chinese whispers. I don't know if anyone played Chinese whispers. So you, you whisper a, 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 a story to somebody. You've got 10 people in a row. So you whisper a story to somebody. 
and he passes it on to the next person, he passes it on to the next person, he passes it on to the next person. By the time it gets to the 10th person, the, the story's been become completely exaggerated. It's not the same story as uh, was initially promulgated. And that was that's what was going on here as well. Um, you know, the old story about the um, the guy that caught the fish, right? So the fish starts off this side when he tells the story the first time. But by the time it's been told to the 10th person, so he, this guy's caught the biggest fish in the world, right? He's caught like a whale. And the same with the guys on the golf course. You know, when he tells the story the first time, he sunk a, a 12-foot putt. putt. But uh, by the time the story's retold 20 times, so he's, you know, he's chipped in from 200, 200 yards away. So this is what this is what the false prophets relied on, that their messages would be passed on by the gullible and they'd be exaggerated and people would start to believe it. And that's exactly what happened. So Yechezkel is being told here, um, you, is being told here a, a very difficult task. He's being told to challenge the false prophets. Now, how does he challenge the false prophets? So we'll see. We'll 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 discuss that in more detail um, um, next week, um, and uh, we'll deal with verse five. Now, verse five is a little bit a little bit complicated. Not clear who uh, verse five is aimed at. Maybe I'll just read. No, it's six oh five already, and it's a fast day. So we'll stop there. So again, um, we've had an introduction, just to recap, we've had an introduction to what false prophets are and the power that they've got and the fact that they their modus operandi is very clever and the message that they're delivering is very optimistic, very appealing, especially to the gullible and the ne'er-do-wells of Yerushalayim. And of course, once the message gets passed around, it gets exaggerated and the message is received, and the message is very attractive, whereas the message of the real prophets is not attractive. The message of the real prophets is, you know, repent or else, do teshuva or else. And uh, so it's an uphill, it's an uphill battle for the real prophets. It's an uphill battle for Yirmiyah in Yerushalayim. It's an uphill battle for Yechezkel because Yechezkel is in Babylonia. So we'll see how this all comes together next time um with the analogy of the foxes uh being continued next week please god it's not next week i believe um next week is yom kippur next <clears> week <throat> is yom following week is kolomot sukkot i think we usually pass Kolomot. uh well we can decide that we can de- we can have a discussion about that you and me larry okay um but certainly next week there'll be no shia because you'll be in shul all of you um please god davening for atonement and um i wish you a i won't see you i'll see some of you guys tomorrow morning but um uh, those i won't see i wish you um a simatoiva. you should have a a good bench cure and um you should have a very i don't know what the word means but meaningful it's what people say right? i don't know what it really means a meaningful yom kippur and uh, be atoned for. Get, seek atonement and receive it, please, God, everyone. And uh, have a great week. Sarah um, uh Have a great Shabbat And uh, fast well. Tzom Kal to everybody. We'll either see you in two weeks or we'll see you in three weeks.
that's that's uh, Larry will let you know. Um, and we'll pick up here in Yechezkel in chapter 13, verse 5, in our discussion of these false prophets. Hope you enjoyed the Shia. I'll um, see you soon in health and happiness. Call up to everybody. I'll pick you up later, Harry. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone.